welcome to the Wastebasket podcast. This is part of our deep dives series on Sean Connery. I did not do my impression, but maybe Chris will. Chris? Uh, maybe, no, I think we're got, I'll save that for the third episode. Got to practice. Oh, yeah. Got to watch some YouTube videos on how to do it properly. But on this podcast, we're doing The Man Who Would Be King, so we have two impressions that we could do. Both My Michael cocaine. Yeah, oh, see? See, it's starting. And <laughs> Sean Connery. And uh, Christopher Plummer. And Christopher Plummer. Well, you've, Not already, a famous accent. you've already let the, the cat out of the back. I, I don't really know what to say on that one, but uh, yeah, Christopher Plummer's in this. R.I.P. He was yeah. in way more movies than i remember i just feel that anytime i've seen a movie recently he's been in it um so yeah yeah it's, most recently um the or at least the most recent movie i've seen him in was knives out which was mm-hmm. fantastic i forget if we talked about that on the podcast i feel we like did. we did yeah i mean there's been what a few thousand podcasts so it's very hard to remember. <laughs> well we we discussed that one and then um didn't we also discuss the insider? So we did, yeah. And yeah. he was in that. Yeah, he was fantastic pr- in that. Pretty great in everything. He didn't have a huge role in this movie, but it was an important role. It's Rudyard Kipling, the writer of the original um, story that this is based on. I always thought it was just pronounced Rudyard Kipling, but you know, I, I, I think that's could just be from seeing it on it TV. I, I, I will tell you that this is one of maybe a handful of times I've ever said his name out loud. Usually people just shorthand at Kipling, right? So Yeah. Well we'll call him Kipling from now on. Yeah. Um but yeah, so Chris, I, I had told you that I had already seen this movie in the past, but I was very excited for you to see it. Did you have a fun and adventurous time with the man who would be king? I did, I did. Uh Star Studded and directed by um, famous director, which I'm sure you'll get into in your uh, research corner. Um, and it was beautifully shot, great music. Yeah. I, I I will say that I thought it dragged a little bit at the end, but we can yeah. talk about that yeah. later. Yeah. Did you you rewatched it for this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, as I said, I, it'd been a few years um, since I had first watched it. So yeah, and it, did it hold up for you? It did. I mean, outside of, you know, what we'll get into about it dragging a little bit, I still had a, a grand old time part of, you know, celebrating uh, rural Britannia, Pax Britannia, whatever, yep. whatever sort of British Anglo <laughs> silliness we want to get into. Uh, but yeah, I'll, um, I guess uh, since you brought it up, I'll just kind of hop into where we're at in Connery's career since, you know, this is a deep dive supposedly on sean connery um and last last time if you caught the last episode we talked about the molly mcguires um and that was i believe 1970 and then this was released in 75 uh in between that uh connery had diamonds are forever a james bond movie um that was was him returning to james bond that was him returning to in between, exactly. yeah. Um, I forget the other guy, the other Bond's name that took his place. Uh, George Lazenby? Yes, yeah, right, for Honor Majesty's Secret Service. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, which is a very different Bond film and very watchable. I highly... Uh, you've seen it, right? You've seen all the Bond uh, films. Yes, yeah, I, I really like that one a lot. Yeah. yeah. It is It is very different, and it, it's actually more 
akin probably to the to the modern bonds and less to the kind of you know tongue in cheek bond of the Connery era yes. or the just grand silliness of the Roger Moore era. It's- Except for the weird opening to that movie. But that's that's for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a different podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me, I was very surprised. So 71, um, he did or released uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Then the Anderson tapes. Uh, he did three Sidney Lumet movies. Sidney Lumet is probably kind of forgotten about now, but in the 70s, 80s, he did a, a lot. He did like 12 Angry Men and a lot of um, very humanistic movies i guess you could say personal movies and i'm actually very curious about these in a way because this would probably be you know connery actually having to use his acting chops and not just you know his accent not saying that he doesn't act in the man who would be king uh but he so he's in the offense uh 72 and then zardoz which is a john borman film uh, that you know everybody memes because Connery's wearing like that that red belt that kind of goes around his body. I don't even know if that you can call it a costume because it's just yeah yeah. I don't um, know. Showing off his his uh, his musculature and makes me as a her suit uh, fellow feel much more comfortable. Maybe if I had muscles to show off my my fur. <laughs> I did not know this, but he was in Murder on the Orient Express, uh, which was also directed by Sidney Lumet, who I didn't know directed that. Hmm. Um, so I've that never was seen a, that one. Never seen that one, yeah. That was a star-studded affair. And then in 74, a movie called Ransom, who uh, fan, he starred along with a fan favorite of our podcast, uh, Ian McShane. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. I had no wow. idea. Yeah. I... I'm curious if uh, Mr. McShane, I mean, he doesn't seem to age, but he always seems to be the same age, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So I'm kind of curious if he's one of those fellows that kind of looked the same when he was younger, like, what is this, 50 years ago or something? Right. Or, or if he's like Christopher Plummer, where I didn't recognize him at all. Um, yeah. Because of the mustache and uh, no no wrinkles on his face. Well, I, over Christmas, watched the Plummer movie where he plays like a mall Santa in the seventies and he's also quite young mm. and he, he has that same, like his eyes are, are kind of distinct, but yeah, he's, you know, I, I mean the dude for, I forget what he passed away at like 80 something. He still yeah, like looked great. Nine. Yeah, he still looked great on camera and uh, knives out. So, and uh, yeah, I had no idea he was Canadian either. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't really, you know, I'm I'm accepting of all nations. So. <laughs> so 75, The Wind and the Lion, uh, Sean Connery played Mulai Ahmed era Raisuni, and, and this was a John Milius film. And then that's was released in 75, along with The Man Who Would Be King. So very busy five years. Yeah. Yeah, and in very different roles. And uh, I think that in terms of Connery stuff, like... I feel bad because we always kind of stereotype him as just the guy that always does a Scottish accent, but I, I'm really curious about the diversity of, of, of these roles and um, would like to check them out. Not, not here on the pod. Maybe we'll do a Sean Connery deep dive part two, but I got to get Zardoz on there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never seen that. Uh, John Borman's done some interesting films. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is a, a John Huston film. I guess we should mention. I don't think you actually said his name earlier. So this yeah, was directed uh, by John Huston. Yeah, he's a Hollywood royalty. K 
kind of, and also a bit of a mess. <laughs> well, I mean, like royalty in the sense that like his kids are all actors oh, yeah, yeah, and their yeah. kids are actors. And yeah. The movies that he directed and wrote were, I mean, some of the most famous Huge, movies of yeah. all time. Yeah, that's including, true. I including fan favorite, his... The Maltese Falcon. Yes. I have his memoirs, his autobiography. I've gotten, I forget if I've even finished it, but um, yeah, he's pretty open and honest about being uh, alcoholic and just kind of figuring his way out in his career and being uh, a terrible husband. And uh, yeah, oh, actually, I think the book is called An Open Book. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Uh, he also... If I'm remembering this correctly, he he played the dad in uh, Chinatown, right? Oh, I don't know. I I I, I know he was China, an actor. Chinatown? Okay, I, not since not in 20 years. Yeah, no. He, I mean, people would just throw him into random roles, and yeah, he, and he was directing, I think, up until the day he died. Hmm. Kind of like Christopher Plummer and acting. Yeah, exactly. So you know, if you find your calling, uh, keep doing it. But yeah, I think if I'm remembering this correctly, it was either him or Samuel Fuller that was like on oxygen on set, like for their last movie. Maybe that's that's a little too much. Maybe a little too much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's dive into this. Really there's, we've actually talked about the main characters already. (laughs) Uh, He's uh, Connery's top build with Michael Caine. They, they are a duo in this. Yeah, Kane, Kane is. Um, go ahead. You you wanted to say it. So. Peachy, it's Peachy <laughs> Carnahan. Is that supposed to be short for something? Like, is that a nickname? I don't know. They never call I, him anything else, do they? I feel like it's just one of those English things, you know. Yeah, Peachy Carnahan, and then is it uh, Daniel Dravot, Sean Connery's character? D R A V O T. Yeah. Yeah, which is an interesting name. I've ever heard Dravot before. Yeah, me either. Yeah, um, I like it. I mean, I mean, it is based off a work of fiction, so I assume these. I mean, these have to be the names that Kipling came up with, right? So yeah, I did do a little bit of half-assed internet research on this, and okay, I'm wondering if you saw the same thing I did, which is that in Kipling's book, Kipling is not Kipling, so that's it's like a, he gave himself another name in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Feel free to to talk about that. I I did a little bit of research, but I was mainly sticking to kind of my area of talking about uh, Connery's career. So if if you want to kind of talk about anything else you found out, uh, go ahead. No, I just I thought that was interesting because I yeah I, 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 I know on the Wikipedia page that it did have like I think a listing of the differences between this and the the original work. Is that right? Is that what you found? Yeah, I think so. I didn't I didn't dive too far into that, but I. Gotcha. I did think it. I did think to myself watching the movie. I was like, "This is kind of, uh, I don't know, like egotistical to put yourself in this <laughs> book like this." <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, I wanted to look okay. up whether or not that was actually the case. But now he didn't put himself in the book. So, yeah, Mr. Kipling, you have my my thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, we've got. Yeah, that's a good point because I kind of figured it was kind of like a heart of darkness situation. But then, yes, it's like, you know, like where it's a story told by someone else about someone else versus. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, yeah, well, he is. It would be kind of weird to be like Jordan was talking to Pinchy <laughs> and yeah. Especially since it it's not um, it's not a true story. 
right? Exactly. It's like yeah. it's like loosely based on a bunch of different stories according to my research, but it's not these two people aren't actually like I can't trace them to any real people. Can I just give a brief summary? Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, and we're, you know, we don't do spoiler horn anymore like we assume that you've watched the film, but let's just do a summary just start us off with um and and I'm going to keep it super brief. So, in summary, two British adventurers become kings of Kafiristan. That was it? That's it. It's mm. not even true now that I read it back because only one person became a king. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a little bit more to that. Like you I think you should know that uh the two characters are ex-British soldiers, right? So Correct. And that they are they weren't disgraced exactly, but they're definitely criminals. And they're they, living, yeah. They are they are making their way in the world. They've been to every <laughs> part of India, jungle, this or that, and checked out all the jails and the and the brothels. And this is their words. Just as a okay, so I, I lied. I I do have a little bit more information. So. <laughs> I was looking forward to teasing it out of you, but I know. here we yeah. go. This is in the time of British rule in India. So India and Pakistan and Burma are all ruled by the Brits. Afghanistan is its own kind of separate area. Kafiristan, you won't find it now technically, but it is a historical name for a region and does show up. Kafir, uh, meaning like the non-believers, the, the land of the non-believers. I think you can find in, is it Robert Byron? Uh, the Road to Oxiana where he goes and climbs in those mountains. I think that they also reference it, but it, it, Present-day Nuristan, which we have spent a lot of time in in our recent, you know, decades, multi-decade-long war, mm. uh, is the uh, area now. And just in historical context, this is set in uh, what did I write down here? 1885, I believe. Yep. Yeah. This is set in 1885 when Peachy and um, Dravet or Danny as he calls them, are talking about, like, you know, the last time we were in the Khyber Pass, blah, blah, blah. Well, the second Anglo-Afghan War had ended in 1880, so that would have only been five years ahead before. Um, mm. But the British had met a lot of bad luck in Afghanistan, pretty much like everybody else who goes there in terms of um, in terms of trying to conquer or do stuff that are non-Afghanis. So that's kind of the context of the uh, the story itself. Yeah, that's that whole thing about um, them traveling through the Khyber Pass and that being something that was, you know, the, to be feared uh, definitely yes. resonated with me because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember reading about the Khyber Pass in like the Washington Post and the New York Times during yeah. our, well, continuing <laughs> adventures there. Winding our, down. Our meaning the United States of America. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Khyber Pass. Uh, one of the, you know, one of those historically one of the most important passes in terms of the world and in, in, in terms of trade and all that. So if you go from Peshawar to Jalalabad, you would pass through the Kuiper Pass. Um, not a trip that I would recommend right now, but you know maybe in the future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, oh, for me, I I kind of thought about the context of this in <clears throat> 1975. So. Chris, have you ever heard of the Hippie Trail? No. Okay. So have you heard of Dirty Backpackers? No. Um, well, that's what I used to be, remember? 
Mm. Back when I traveled in my 20s, I was a dirty backpacker. Okay. So in the 60s and 70s, uh, people would go from England to Australia overland or the reverse, Australia to England overland. And this is when you could actually travel through Iran, Afghanistan. This is where all those stories of historical Afghanistan, not modern historical Afghanistan, pre-Soviet, pre-Taliban of like all this stuff comes from are these like hippies who would travel through via van, what have you, smoke some opium, um, you know, via Iran, Afghanistan into Pakistan, India, down to either Sri Lanka or to Southeast Asia, um, maybe continuing on to Australia. So there's a lot. That's when like the Lonely Planet Guidebook series, they had done a trip like that. The people that started that, it's it was kind of like a big thing back in the day. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of and so 75 would have been right before all that kind of closed down because of the revolution in Iran and because of the uh, coup in Afghanistan. So, um, Is that, and that's when the, the Soviets invaded? Uh, Soviets invaded a little bit after that, yeah. Hmm. So like 78, 79, yeah. Hmm. Um, right. But yeah, so it's I kind of wonder like, you know, what people who watch this in 75 were thinking about Afghanistan at the time too, you know, because there would be that kind of context if – you know, it is a small minority of people doing that type of trip, but um, it's just something in my mind from uh, my experience as a dirty backpacker. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, well, I did. I did read more. that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I did read that the movie that John Houston wanted to make that movie forever. Did you see that too? I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, and so I don't. You know, I don't think they made it in the seventies with any particular. No, no, no. Sociopolitical I, yeah. aspect in mind. No, I don't think the movie was made that way. I was trying to picture myself as an audience member at the time. And, oh, and, yeah. And bringing that to it, yes. Not, yeah, not any type of sociopolitical thing, but just as an audience member. <laughs> Especially, say, in England, where th- that might be something that people go and do is go to Afghanistan. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. So, well, would sorry, it make, sorry if that was Would it make you want to? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, but I mean, if you go there and you meet some people and then, you know, the locals are like, are you gods? And you're like, not gods, Englishmen, the next best thing. Maybe it'll work out for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think uh, that the second act of the movie, at least what I'm going to call the second act of the movie, where they're traveling from India to Kafiristan, mm-hmm. had a lot of echoes to... And obviously this movie came later, but a lot of echoes to like the um, Fellowship of the Ring and the the traveling they're doing. You mean way too many landscape shots? Like lots of lands- well, lots of landscape shots and lots of like imposing um, shots yeah. of mountains and weather. <laughs> and yeah, which aren't at all accurate, at least from my reading and watching. But okay. yeah, I didn't think it would be like as snowy there, but hey. From what I understand, you can get to that level, but the way that they would have gone, I mean, you can even just do a drag and drop person on uh, Google Maps and see. It looks beautiful. Like, I I hope that things settle down, not only for the people of Afghanistan, but so that I can one day, like, go there 
Um, right. Uh, like the Badakhshan uh, Gorge just looks amazing. So watching watching that part of the movie where they're traveling to Kafiristan rem- reminded me of Fellowship of the Ring. And also it made me think like, okay, in, in terms of what you were just saying, like people wanted to go to New Zealand even after watching, you know, all the horrible <laughs> things that happened yeah. to the the Fellowship uh, yeah, in that movie. Because it looked amazing. Yeah, and people might have felt the same way after watching this movie because all that stuff looks incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Even if it is treacherous. Yeah. No, it does. I I guess, okay, I'll do a little bit more of the summary, but, I mean, basically, it's a very straightforward story in a way. Like, they go there, and then their scheme is to bring weapons, and so it's like, who are your enemies? It's like, oh, these guys that pee up river of us <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then they help those people to defeat their enemies and then they appropriate their enemies as enemies and and just kind of expand their forces and then it all kind of turns around when they go to that temple right yep sikander goal so yes they go to sikander did you get the context of the story and all that alexander talk and like why that temple looked like a greek temple I, I mean, I just what the movie said that oh, okay. at, at some point Alexander. So the you're Great not had, familiar with like the Greco Bactrians, not really. No, I mean, I, I just I, I, <laughs> they well, don't teach this in American schools. <laughs> so coach what? didn't tell me about it, so I don't know. All right, because <laughs> I am a Central Asian nerd, I do know a little bit about this. So when Alexander he got to the Indus River, basically Indu River, or uh, in Pakistan, and then that's when he, you know, turned around from invading, trying to invade India. Um, he settled soldiers that were either just old or wanted to retire in different towns uh, around uh, Afghanistan and kind of parts of the Fergana Valley, Tajikistan. And so for a couple hundred years, actually, there was a Greek influence in those areas. And so that's why you have. They don't have temples like that, I'm pretty sure, but like you'll have coinage in the area or or statues that look very Greek, but they were made in um, Afghanistan. Important question. Go ahead. Was Alexander a Freemason? Okay, well, I was going to get to that. Hi, folks. Apologies. This pod is a little choppy because, as you might have heard, Earlier, there was some loud construction going on in my building at the time. We had to take a break and pick up our conversation later. So about Buddhist monks. All right. So anyway, Afghanistan was a crossroads of all these religions. And uh, if you remember the outcry, like when the Taliban blew up the huge or what were the huge Buddhist uh, statues of Buddha in the Baminyan uh, Valley, um, I think that maybe the costume designer took some influence from that as well. I can't say for certain it could, they could just be like, Oh, maybe Greek monks look like this too. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So, um, did you know this? Did you know that the, the woman that caused the downfall as women typically do JK, that's a joke. We are, (laughs) we are totes feminists here. Um, Roxanne, Roxanne or Roxana was, uh, actually Michael Caine's wife. Uh, okay. yes, I did. Cause I, I saw, uh, I 
don't remember her first name now, but I saw Kane as a, a second name in the the list of actresses oh, at the beginning okay. of the movie. Well, and that I makes thought, sense. Well, <laughs> she's she's the only prominent woman in the yeah, whole movie. I, so I did but, not know that the first time I watched it, and then I read one of Michael Caine's many memoirs where he talks about how like he saw her on like a I don't know like a, a coffee commercial or something and like <laughs> like try to track her down via the agency and all this and then they fell in love etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah so um but yeah that was uh, a role that I guess you know um a couple years after they got married so um yeah pretty yeah. cool um not not set up to be his wife exactly movie, yeah though. so it's interesting all right so we have where they have taken over these villages and try to be kings and sorry my, my throat's a little dry now um <clears throat> and then kane even though he is a primary character is kind of secondary in terms of the power structure don't you think like he's I mean, he helps out and he's like the head of the army, but Connery is really the one that all this really goes to his head. And, and I guess that's the point of the story, right? Yeah. I, well, the movie, the movie definitely turns because at the beginning, he's the one, Kane is the one that's like giving orders. You know, remember when they, when they march into um, the magistrate's right, office right. while they're still in <laughs> India, he's like giving orders to Connery, like he's in command and he's the one that leads them through the pass mm-hmm. and he's you know he's like leading him leading connery when he has snow blindness and seems to generally like be the one who's in right. charge and connery's more of like the lovable the yeah yeah he's like slightly dim-witted but you know he's there um but then yes there's this like turn after after Connery is named as uh, the king or or the the god character, and now all of a sudden he doesn't have that sort of like dim wittedness anymore. He's like he's more in charge. He's more like Connery in the James Bond movies. Like I don't, you know, I don't. I'm not gonna say that there's a, a moral in the story, but I guess like what happens with Connery is that he starts believing his character starts believing a little bit of his own myth to some degree or what people would call maybe going native. Like he really falls in love with mm-hmm. the people and the, just his status because, because yeah, maybe right. he, he's so used to being the follower that now he has like actual power, quote unquote, um, that, but I, I think that he could have, I think it could have worked out well for him if he had just stayed a King, but then when he tried to be a God, no bueno. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because I, I was thinking more about that this morning that, you know, it's it wasn't actually Connery's idea to be a godlike right. figure in Kafiristan. That was I mean, it was something that just kind of happened by accident. He was shot with an arrow. It hit his uh, bandolier instead of his actual flesh. And people thought he was impervious to damage and. They thought he was a god, and he immediately says to um, Billy Fish, a character we really haven't talked about yet so far, but he's the he's the English speaking Gurkha, uh, yeah. Gurkha. yeah. And um, he he tells Billy Fish, he's like, "You need to go out there right now and tell them they're mistaken. Like, I'm I'm not a god." And Carnahan says, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. We can 
you know, follow through with our plans to rule this country a lot quicker if everybody thinks you're a god. And he just plays along with it. Yeah. But that, like you said, ultimately leads to his downfall. Right. I guess I guess it's so, maybe even yeah. one of those classic tragedy things, right? Like kind of, I, I mean, I, I don't really want to call it hubris. I, maybe after a while it right. became hubris, but, um, you know, hubris leading to a downfall. Uh, as you said, he was just kind of thrown into it. Really, the only thing that saved his life is what seems to be your favorite detail of the movie is the uh, Freemasons. <laughs> well, when the when they're trying to shoot an arrow at him, which I think was a funny setup, too. It's like, oh, yeah, thanks for the arrow. Here, I'm going to shoot it at you. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Yeah, that was a great scene. But uh but then they see the Freemason symbol on his uh necklace and then just happen to have one in the stones there. And I yeah, since you brought it up earlier, uh how about you take this one? Oh, I I mean I I, I thought you were gonna tell us that the the Freemasons were all over uh Alexander the Great's uh Empire oh, or something. But I, 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 I mean is that even possible? I don't know that much about Freemasonry, but I thought that's related to Christianity. So Alexander was quite a bit before uh, JC, yeah, you know, as we call him. <laughs> so that, yeah, that that this just seems to be an entirely made up thing. I, I'm actually curious. If it's in the, I, I don't in know the, if, if it's, it's in the book. Yeah, if, if it's in the book or not. I mean, it's a good. It's like a good plot device, though. Especially, I bet you it probably is. Especially because. Since, I feel like people were really into that stuff in the 19th century, right? Like, you don't really hear about it so much oh, anymore, yeah. but those that's where a lot of early conspiracy theories come from, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of famous Freemasons who were in well, yeah, positions like of power, Washington and Jefferson, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, don't, don't quote me on that. Sure. Yes. Hamilton? <laughs> Um, yeah so i i just went along with it but i i wasn't so into that as a deus ex machina whatever yeah it seemed a little bit like well the thing that i didn't quite understand is like why they called off the arrow shooting at that point but then later on they're like "Mm, all right let's uh i uh, skipping to the end of the movie like i assume they drugged the his bride to be mm-hmm. and are basically like you need to go like bite him right. or scratch him or something to prove that he's oh. mortal oh did you also notice that he was like rolling with the arrow and they had like dipped it in gold <laughs> <laughs> that was a yes that was actually gonna be that was my favorite detail from the movie is that after he gets shot with that arrow he's like holding it for like the rest of the movie <laughs> He's like walking around with it like it's like a wand or a scepter or something. It's a really good detail. I I didn't think about that um, theory with the biting scratching. You know, I just you're the married one here. I just assume that's what happens on your wedding day, right? So just just so <laughs> well, that she can put you in your guess, place and prove that you're not a god. Right. My I mean, my guess is that she was cool with the plan but she wasn't she was like probably still terrified that he was yeah. a god and figured okay well i'm gonna die when i do this so they drugged her or something to like get her over her yeah. nerves 
and that's why she, her like eyes were like rolling into the back of her head while they're uh, dragging that, her up to yeah, the that makes sense. Yeah. the altar. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then that was uh, pretty much the the end of it. Um, and you know, uh, Michael King's character Peachy was going to leave the day before because you know the <laughs> that, that, that morning, morning, yeah, um, with like some of the riches um and uh, uh things didn't quite work out that way but he was able to yeah, get back to true. kipling and tell him the story with with connery's head that he fished out of the river yeah, somehow the crown still stayed out. on it that yeah that was the big that was the, that was a, too far for me like why would they let him keep this crown and why wouldn't he sell it for money when he got back that was like the one like valuable thing he had left the, well, okay. So you, earlier you had said that you felt that that second half had had dragged on too long. Um, I don't know if it's the whole second half, but basically after after the battle where he gets shot with the arrow, I felt like the rest of the movie took too long to get to where we knew it was going. You you felt that that's where it was going to end up, like you you know. I mean, I knew just because I'd seen it before, but like. You had some intimations that this was kind of what was going to happen, this downfall. Well, yeah, because of the beginning. Like, they they basically tell you that Dravit's not coming back. Right. Because we don't see him at the beginning talking to Kipling in that sort of, like, flash-forward sequence. Um, so you know something bad's going to happen, and that seemed like the obvious place that it was going to go, that he was going to become king and... Some bad stuff would go down. Okay, so just the general, just the general overall thing is is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I did enjoy the scene where it's like pretty clear that Dravit's actually a good mm-hmm. king. I, you know? I wanted like to bring he's actually up. making yeah, rulings. Like, you know, after the proceedings of this past week, I'm like, man, I wish that dude was a senator. <laughs> <laughs> he at least has some freaking morals. Right. Right. Yeah, he like genuinely seemed to enjoy being king and ha- was coming up with good rulings. He wasn't like a King Joffrey kind of character, yeah. which you might have expected since he is a you know a former soldier slash criminal. Um, but yeah, he he like grew into it, and I think that was an interesting um, interesting choice for the story. And then he he sang his way to his death, which Connery seems to love to do a show off his uh, singing voice, which I'm I'm not opposed to. I think he does have a good voice, and these are all drinking songs that I have no idea about. But maybe you and I can use them when we go to Scotland. <laughs> I did think that it was a questionable choice of uh, of execution to like <laughs> destroy the only bridge that you have across that valley. Yeah. Yeah, like that looked like it was a very complex bridge yeah. to build. Yeah, and it's so like, isn't this just, important? Uh, like, you could just kill them. <laughs> just push, just push them off the ledge. Like, you don't have to cut them. Uh, very weird. Did you but... read in the Wikipedia about how Connery was really afraid of heights, but he had to go out to the middle? No. And John Houston <laughs> basically had to coerce him to go and. It looks scary. Yeah, well, the the cool. stuntman who replaced Connery in the actual stunt, um, I think, had to fall like eighty or hundred feet or something. So, yeah. Ooh. And despite that, I did read that he that Connery and Kane both said that this was their favorite movie to make. Yeah, I saw that too. I 
So I give away a lot, a lot of books to Goodwill, one of which was that Kane memoir, like right before we decided to do all this, because I bet there's probably some good tidbits in there about the making of this film, since he didn't mention his wife. Um, so I, I do apologize yeah. about that to our audience, but if you go to the Goodwill here in LA, maybe you'll come across it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, I think, had been friends for quite a while, you know, um, as as you're roguish actors as we talk about richard harris and all these other folks uh like that was part yeah. of the drinking crew was harris and kane connery and but kane. no connery wasn't really a big part of it but uh connery or sorry kane harris and uh reed i think the the guy that died uh in malta during gladiator oh so this is like a <laughs> and peter tool really this is like a like a british like rat pack kind of situation yes. or yeah, they were. Right. There's actually a book about them called like uh, the Hellraisers. But yeah, it's Peter O'Toole, uh, Oliver Reed, I think is his name, uh, Harris and Kane, and uh, O'Toole and Kane basically had to stop drinking because they had like liver problems. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to read this book. Anyway, back to back to our man Connery. Yeah, what did you think? Like, I I thought you could definitely tell a difference in his acting yes. chops between this movie and the movie before. Well, the movie before, how <laughs> much acting? I mean, <laughs> I know that you enjoyed his, but acting, still, but yeah, I, I thought that he was very much that character. You know, he seemed more sure of himself in this movie. I felt like in the in the Molly Maguire's. I mean, they're both. Uh, you could argue that this movie actually, at least for the first half i would say uh, shades more towards being a comedy mm-hmm. almost than than super like a, dramatic like yeah. a serious dramatic movie um whereas molly the molly mcguire's is not no. comedic in the no. least um but that connery he seems more confident in in his like line deliveries and in like the kind of like emotions he's trying to get across whereas in you know, if we go back to the beginning of the pod and, and mentioning how many movies he made um, outside of Bond between Molly McGuire's and this, uh, yeah, I could definitely see how he would, you know, coming from Bond where he was just able to play that character uh, seemingly effortlessly to actually having to branch out. Like, um, I, yeah, I could see by this time, since he had played many different roles, and maybe Zardoz is what really gave him the confidence, you know, wearing that mankini. <laughs> um, yeah, I can I can definitely see that and feel that. Um, I You know, one thing when I was trying to do my research was figure out, you know, because he's such a pro-Scotland guy. Like, even in a few scenes in this movie, you can see his uh, Scotland tattoo on his forearm. Um, and he's oh. such a Scottish patriot. But I was trying to figure out how many movies he actually played Scottish characters in. Because he always, of course, has a stereotype of using his Scottish accent. But I was trying to figure out how many movies he um, actually played it. Not the one where he's a dragon. (laughs) It could be a Scottish dragon. But, you know, just seeing that he played, like, you know, some Arabic characters and whatever Zardoz, like, is supposed to be. Well, he's he's Scottish and uh, the Highlander. No, he's Spanish and Highlander. Oh, he is! Damn, damn it. But they're in the Highlands. That's the why point. That's why that movie's so weird. No, Christopher okay. Lambert, who was like French or Belgian, is the Highlander. Yeah. No, he All he right. plays a Spanish fop with like uh, a Scottish accent. 
<laughs> oh, right, because his name is like Ramirez or yeah. something, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, I I did not actually do that research, but that's like one of those things I'm throwing out there if anybody wants to go down that rabbit hole and actually put the effort in. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I so anyway, to sum funny. up all this, like I enjoy this movie. I hope that you did. I enjoy that this was a movie with a lot of extras like we don't have now where they're all CG, like just having these huge crowd scenes of people just doing a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I am always a fan, you know, it wasn't epic, epic, like a Lawrence of Arabia, but still having that feel of like the vistas and all the people, like I, I still like that in, in movies um, of this time. Yeah, that's, that was going to be, that was going to be what I, what I said okay. actually. Cause we'll say I, it again. It, well, it made me think. Um, the The phrase that came to mind was that the, this is a like bizarro version of Lawrence of Arabia. Interesting. You've got those, you've got those vistas. You've got these kind of you know you got the the British right. people like going through the like Middle Eastern territories. You've got you've got the sa- soundtrack by the same guy by uh, Maurice uh, Jarre who did um, who did this the oh, score for Lawrence of Arabia. I, this is what I depended on you for because I you know not a big soundtrack nut, but thank you. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, that. so. So it had that same feeling to it, but at the same time, it, it didn't take itself so seriously. It had those comedic elements. It's like probably less than half the length of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's like a good it's a good like entry point to that style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm glad to introduce this to you and uh, hopefully to uh, to other folks. Um, and you know, I for me, it's just a great warning of. Um, why not to get married on this Valentine's Day just because uh, she might bite you and prove that you're not a god and we can't have that right, wait yeah. did I just cancel our podcast for a second time in one recording <laughs> just kidding folks mm. so our next film Chris is Actually, oh my god <laughs> alright our next film is Russia House I believe uh 1980 or so or or no i think it's later 89 it's like yeah, 89 yeah, 80 yeah or 90 like yeah 89 90 um with connery and uh michelle pfeiffer um who yeah. catwoman uh new york the new yorker just did a profile on her because she has a new movie that came out um so we can link that in the show notes for that pod um but yeah based on a john le carre novel did you? I forget. Did you read the? Well, we'll talk about it on the I've, the pod. But yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, read all the smiley books. But it, is this one supposed to be based on a smiley book? I think it's separate. Like I I do actually have it here, so maybe I'll get around to it to reading it before the watching mm. it. Um, but yeah. So uh, if you haven't checked out check out um, the Molly McGuire's pod previous to this. Um, if you made it this far, like thank you for listening. And yes. uh, next time we'll be deep diving uh, into further into Mr. Connery's career with the Russia House. So that's all for me, Chris. Have a great day. You too. Happy Valentine's Day, Jordan. We're not supposed to let people know what time it is. Mm. Happy Valentine's Day at four twelve p.m. Eastern. Happy Jordan. Valentine's Day. I love you. Happy Bemo Times Day to Bemo yeah. out there. Heart emoji, heart emoji. Yeah. Uh, little 
it took me a while to figure out, but I that little smiley with the hands out, that's not jazz hands, that's actually a hug. That emoji. Anyway, let's just let the audience Can we do uh, a, get out of here. I think this means that we have to do the emoji movie at some with point. With Sir Patrick Stewart as poop? Yes. So we could do Pixels, the emoji movie, and Ralph Breaks the Internet or something like that. So two out of three like terribly rated uh, animation movies. Okay, sounds great. All right, how about, well, I was trying to think of ones that are like digitally inclined. So maybe we find another terrible digital one. How about we just keep going with Mr. Connery right now? So um, <laughs> listen to this podcast. Enjoy your day. All right, all right. Bye. It's 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 2021. There's nothing else to do.